table so you guys can go ahead. Hey, we have stuff to do here. You're in middle school? We have things to do. I'm sorry, I have multitasking. (laughs) You are, very good. You're a youth pastor and worship leader. What don't you do? That's right. What don't you do? Oh, I don't know. That's a real question. (laughs) You do it all. (laughs) I don't know. Evan, you're one trick pony, but maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Totally kidding. I only know one thing. (laughs) But you know it really well. Uh. <laughs> we are Depending on who you in the middle of a, uh, a series that we are excited about. It's called Enjoy, and we want this to be an eight-week island of pure joy in a sea of chaos, right? This is America. It is election season. There are all kinds of problems, war in Europe and northern hemispheres, drought and heat and all that stuff. And, uh, and we are going to have an eight-week island of joy every single week focusing on something cool. Today we're going to focus on enjoying God, right? Enjoying God. Why is that a deal? I think, I mean, uh, for for me, you know, there's a lot of people who grew up the same way that uh, us three did, and a lot of you out there grew up with this idea of God being like, coming to God is is scary. You know, it's like uh, when you break a lamp in your parents' house, like you you just (laughs) kind of avoid, you avoid the living room, you avoid parents, you avoid it all. And someone's like, just go to your mom. And it's like, no. So that is kind of the idea that we kind of have of God sometimes is like, if I've done the wrong thing, I am bad, I am wrong, and now I'm in trouble. And uh, mom, if you're watching, you're a very loving mom. I didn't mean that in that way. But, and his so, sister broke the lamp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was my sister. Um, but this, this idea of God being judgmental and angry and just mean, and, and it's, it, today is one of those days where we just set that aside. And this series is one of those series where we say, okay, we're going to set that aside as hard as it might be. We're going to set it aside, and we're going to pay attention to all the care that he has put in to the world around us, to our universe, to everything that he has created just for us. The care that he put into that and, and sending his son to die for us, we're looking at the evidence of a God who loves us very much. And maybe isn't that judgmental, mean, angry God? God that you think about. You know, he is a caring, loving father. And, and we'll, I won't take your whole message, but you can get... You it's can good. Okay. It's I know, somebody stop him. No, I'm just kidding. And I think that... And we, another thing. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Sit down. And I think that too, like it's so important. I like this series because it's just important to carve out this time to just remind us. I think we have enough reminders of the doom and gloom, right? Like out yeah, there. Enough There's of enough of that. And so just coming here, carrying out this time and just focusing on what's good, focusing you know, on, on God and just, you know, the fruit of the spirit is peace and kindness and love and gentleness. And when we go into spaces, when we go to work on Monday, when we go to school, when we go into our families, are we bringing these things? Is this the fruit of the spirit that's developing in us? Or are we fearful and, and doom and gloom and just complaining and talking about things like we're supposed to bring the good news, right? So I think this series is a great culture creator if we can just kind of you know, just be reminded of that. And as you said, if we're reminded of that and spend these eight weeks reminding ourselves of that through music, through the message, through the scripture, through the teaching of Jesus, which we'll talk about today, not only will we have this life kind of filled, filled with enjoyment, but it will spill over into the world around us and make the world a better place. And that sounds kind of cliche, but this is how it happens, right? So we're going to do a, a song, right? Because we can't get enough of you guys. More music. <laughs> More music. Yes. No, but seriously, this is a song that... Uh, touches me, I mean deeply, deeply, every single time we do it. Uh, it's a song called So Will I. We, we joke about how many favorite songs we have, but I have just this one. This is it. This is it. It is my favorite. You've got a bunch. Megan, four out of three on, songs we do every week is your favorite. This is one on a long list of many, yeah. but yes. it, it is be, on there. It'd be a shorter list and name songs that are not her favorite. Yeah, that is true. Probably. That is true. But this one is awesome uh, because for so, so many reasons, but the lyrics are just so powerful and rich and deep. And it starts from the beginning, as we did last week. It starts with the creation of the cosmos. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to check it out. We just had so much fun together 
celebrating that the God of creation, as you mentioned earlier, Evan, built all this for us. I mean, from 13.8 billion years ago, the cosmos expands and all the galaxies form, the sun and the earth and life and then humankind breathing the breath of God. All these things are miracles that we get to celebrate. This song talks about it. And it talks about how valuable we are by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, giving himself, really taking on the brokenness of this world and rising again from the dead in love and in victory. All of this just causes pure enjoyment of who God is to us. So I suggest we do that song. I think we should. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's do it. All right. All right. You can stay seated for this unless you're feeling it. All right, if you're not smiling, you have no soul. You have no soul. That's just... And I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you how I saw that video. Yet, uh, Friday, I'm with a bunch of, of guys. I mean, like we're the most manliest men doing super athletic things. On Friday, we're playing golf. And uh, my buddy, Ryan Beaver, who's big athlete dude, he said, you got to see this video. <laughs> That's what he showed us. Bunch of dudes watching baby videos hugging each other. We're like, okay, we're drying the tears in our eyes. Let's get back to the athletics. This is just a little bit of choosing to look at some very good things that are happening in life. And so last week we talked about just enjoying the simplicity of being alive, simply enjoying being alive, taking some time, intentionally focusing on that. Yeah, it's pretty cool to be a living, breathing human being made in the image of God. Today we're going to talk about simply enjoying God, simply enjoying God. And now for some of you who might've been raised in religious circles, okay, you're gonna give us the three steps to this and here's how we need to do this and here's what we have to do and read your Bible and pray and all those are good things, but no, we're not gonna do that at all. We're gonna do none of that. We're just gonna simply enjoy God, Him. Not the stuff around Him, not the religious, you know, sort of trappings around, just enjoy God. Something very, very simple. Now, some of you... um, might do this as a lifestyle. And you might think, great, this is, this is kind of what I love. I love just enjoying God, just, just Him. So for those of us who are very naturally enjoying God as part of our life because we've had some grace awakening or some life experience and we've been awakened to this idea that we can just enjoy Him, you might think, this is awesome, let's do this, right? You think about God and there are happy thoughts. You think about God and there are smiles on your faces. Happy feelings are running through your soul, right? And when you pray, you're smiling and enjoying his presence. You come to church and, all right, you can't wait to just be around other people who are also enjoying God, right? For some of you, it's natural. For most people, it is not natural to enjoy God. For most people, there are the the trappings of teaching and life experiences and upbringing and just frankly human nature that causes us to perceive God as something other than to be enjoyed. We might have been taught that this God is to, to be feared, the fear of God. You might have even memorized verses, the fear of God, right? And we're supposed to think of God as holy and powerful and all-knowing and distant, and then to compare the holiness of God and the perfection of God with how sinful we are, right? And that creates a feeling of unworthiness. It creates a feeling of smallness and separation. God is holy and, uh, and transcendent, unapproachable light. I've preached these sermons, and we're just lowly wretches, and we can't even bear to be in the light of his glory, Right? We're to fear God. That's not enjoying God. It's the opposite of enjoying God. We might have been taught that God is to be pacified, that he is an angry, judgmental, vengeant God, right? And the sin of the world makes him fiercely enraged and somebody has to pay a price, right? Somebody's gonna get it because I'm infuriated and that angry God has to be pacified. 
so that he doesn't condemn us with his fierce, fierce wrath. He's disappointed in me or maybe, maybe even angry with me, so I have to give God what he wants to calm him down. I mean, how condescending is that, really? But we've been taught this angry God needs to be pacified. That's not enjoying God. Some of us might have been taught that God needs to be appeased, that here's the sovereign God who, uh, as the scripture says, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He owns it all. He has every blessing, every earthly and spiritual and heavenly blessing. He has it all. And here are we. And there's tragedy in our lives and there's hardship in our lives. So how can we appease this God so he'll give us some goodies? How do we appease this God so he'll answer our prayers? How do we appease this God so he'll give us some prosperity in life? A God who is feared, a God who is pacified, a God who is appeased is not a God we enjoy at all, at all. And all this stuff, God being feared, God being appeased, right? God being pacified, it's all primitive human nature, all of it. We've been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years since the dawn of early man. We have been fearing the divine, trying to pacify the divine, trying to appease the divine. It is just primitive human nature, and here's how it goes. Since the dawn of humanity, here's how this goes. We think, and I believe rightfully so, that there must be a perfect and powerful divine. The creator, by definition, holds the standards. There is a divine. How did we get here? The basic answer, how did we get here and why are we here, right? Everyone, everyone, all civilizations through all time, there must be a perfect and powerful divine. But we experience failure and tragedy. So this is the, the contrast here. We experience failure and tragedy. And so if there's a perfect and powerful divine and we are imperfect and we're experiencing tragedy, he must be getting us for something. Or in polytheism, they must be getting us from something. Or more Eastern religions, the cosmic oneness must be getting us for something because we're failing, we're failing. And there's a chasm there. And we feel that chasm. We feel it through fear. We feel it through trying to pacify. We feel it through trying to appease the divine. So we must be under the judgment of the divine. Because we experience failure and tragedy, that means the perfect divine must be judging us for something. And so what's the remedy? The remedy is simply this. Prosperity can only come if we pacify and appease the divine by proper belief, proper worship, proper sacrifice, and proper living. Every single religious system from primitive man to modern Christianity to this very day does this. This is what we do. It's what we always do. There's no difference. It's what we always do, what we've always done, and probably what we always will do, unless we make a decision to enjoy God, to get past this stuff and enjoy God. You can trace ancient Celtic religion, religions that appease the gods through rituals and sacrifice. Ancient African religions to appease nature and the gods of nature through ritual and sacrifice. Ancient native uh, North and South American tribes appeasing the spirits through ritual and sacrifice. Ancient Eastern religions appeasing the cosmic oneness through ritual and sacrifice. The Near Eastern religions appeasing regional gods through ritual and sacrifice. You read our Old Testament. This is the Hebrew tribe. The Hebrew tribe appeasing the God of Israel, Yahweh, through ritual and sacrifice. No difference anywhere. In fact, we read the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is one of hundreds of verses in the Old Testament that essentially say the same thing. Here's King Solomon, and he's experienced a lot of life, a very adventurous life. And he's writing this final letter to his son in his old age, and he says this, this is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. 
How does that sound? Sound like freedom? <laughs> sounds like enjoyment? No, it sounds like fear. It sounds like pacifying. It sounds like appeasing the divine. And much of modern Christianity is exactly the same stuff. And many of us know what it's like to live in this environment and to be raised in this environment, to be raised with this thought that sin separates us from God. One of the most ludicrous things I've ever heard in my life, that sin can separate us from God. He's so sensitive and so righteous that he can't even look upon the evil of humankind, right? And so whenever we sin, we do something we know we shouldn't do, our immediate thought, having been raised in these environments, is I must be separated from God. His wrath is upon me, his judgment is upon me, so what must I do? Well, I've gotta confess my sin, repent of my sin, so I can kinda of snuggle back up to God, and so his, angry will be pacif- his anger will be pacified. And God will never answer my prayers unless I have enough faith and believe the right things and obey to get him kinda of loosened up so he'll have his frown turned upside down and start to kinda of bless our lives again. This is just normal stuff, every religion everywhere. Living with this thought that Do I really believe all the right things so I pass that test? Am I good enough as a person so that God will say, hey, well done, you know, come on in? Am I devout enough in my religion? This is the trap of religion that keeps us from enjoying God. And why the burden of this is causing millions and millions to run away from institutional religion. As I've said before, I think that's a good thing. The more we can run away from this stuff, the better, the better for us, the better for humanity to run away from this stuff that has been keeping us from enjoying God since the dawn of humankind. So it kind of begs the question, well, if we're gonna run away from this stuff, if we're gonna run away from the primitive human nature that causes us to fear and pacify and appease this distant angry God, if I'm gonna run away from that, where do I run to? Where can I go? Answer might shock you. Jesus. Write that down, Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. The ministry of Jesus was all about freeing people from this stuff. The ministry of Jesus was all about getting people to a point where they can enjoy God and live in the freedom of that and the happiness of that. I mean, Jesus' first famous sermon, he starts with, what, 13 invitations to be happy and enjoy God? And, And where has that all gone? We can leave kind of the dread of this fearful relationship with this angry divine and just simply listen to Jesus, right? Let's go to Luke chapter 12. You're gonna think this first part of Jesus' teaching is actually kind of funny compared to what I just said. Ready? Here we go. Let's just get right into it. I tell you who to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into the burning pit of fire. He's the one to fear. Treadway, what did you just say? And then you just read Jesus, who says to fear God. Now listen, you're correct. Jesus said this. Keep reading. (laughs) Whenever you have a verse that you pick out, there's just kind of, just keep reading. Because Jesus says, yes, if you're going to fear somebody, and his whole point is to not fear religious leaders. Don't fear them. If you're going to fear, fear God. And Jesus just kind of says, okay, fine. If you want to be afraid of something, don't fear these religious leaders over here who are burdening you with all kinds of stuff. If you want to fear, fear God because he can take it all from you, right? Then what does he say? Very next verse. What's the price of five sparrows? I don't know. I think it's two copper coins. Yes, it's two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. 
yet the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So what? Say it. Don't be afraid. Jesus just said, don't be afraid. He says, yes, if you're gonna fear, fear God. He is the Almighty. Jesus says, don't, let's not be ambiguous about that. God is the Almighty. But what does he do with his power? What does he do with his majesty? He loves us. He cares about us. He treasures us. He cherishes us to the point where every single hair on our head is numbered. So I looked in the mirror today and thought, no, there's fewer and fewer things to number going on, especially back here. Good thing there's a ca- not a camera right here. Some of you, I could count the number of hairs on your head. <laughs> but this just goes to show God's intricate cherishing of you. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. So what Jesus is essentially saying is, yes, it's understandable that there's a fear of the all-powerful, almighty, yes. But what does he do with that power? He loves you and cherishes you. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Jesus goes on to teach in many powerful ways, not just with his words, but how he lives his life. And he says, enjoy God, enjoy God thoroughly. I'm gonna put it this way. God is to be enjoyed the way a child enjoys hanging out with a loving dad. These are the parables that Jesus talks about often, that God is a dad, a loving dad who cherishes us, treasures us. And then he talks about the value of children and their relationship with their parents and children's relationship with God. And he's just exuding this idea that we're to enjoy God the way a child enjoys hanging out with a loving dad. Now, to to consider God to be a dad is really heartwarming for a lot of people who have a good relationship with their dad, right? If you've got a great relationship with your dad and your dad is loving and has loved you since you were young and and if you have been raised with a dad that cherishes you and values you, you know, then this is just a heartwarming thing. But there's, you know, maybe some of us who haven't had that experience with our dads and, and then you might have a little bit of a different view here. And so for people who have had a different experience with their dad, sometimes God can be this distant, fearful thing. So there's something there, and and actually there's quite a bit there to kind of process through. But even those who may not have had the warmest relationship with their dad, Jesus is trying to still invite us to consider God to be dead, an eternal dad. Yes, who is full of power and majesty. There's no way around that, right? Jesus said, yes, he is powerful. But what does he choose to do with that power? To love and to cherish even us. Jesus used a phrase describing God um, when he was in some trouble. Jesus was facing the cross and he was in a moment of desperation and he cries out to God, Abba, Father. You heard of that? Kind of nice religious thing. Uh, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for dad. It comes with this kind of duality of both glory and closeness. And then use this, uses the, the, the Greek word, uh, Petros, uh, or Petros, which is uh, parent or dad in particular. And so it's this Aramaic word plus this Greek word together that became this amazing phrase where God is both an incredibly powerful being, yet he's the closest dad, Abba, Father. And we might think to ourselves, okay, well, that's Jesus, right? Jesus is the only begotten son of God, the perfect image of God, the full expression of God. So yeah, God the Father is a dad to Jesus, but what about us? I mean, we're sinful wretches, the stuff we've heard our whole life, right? Well, listen to Romans chapter eight, verse 15. 
The Apostle Paul says, you, this is us, have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. He flat out says it. We're not fearful slaves. There's nothing to fear in our relationship with God. We're not fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. We can call him Abba Father. And I'm gonna use a a word here, a, a little phrase here that means the same thing, but it might still kind of catch you sideways. God is our eternal dad. Can we get our heads around that? God is our eternal dad. We use words heavenly father and we use those words so much it may not mean much. But if we can take this Abba Father concept that was true of Jesus and it's true of us, and if we can use just normal everyday words, I think Jesus is inviting us to consider God our eternal dad. And again, if you have a complex relationship with your dad, this might be a little bit of a road to walk. How can you walk a journey where you can be comfortable receiving this warm embrace from our eternal dad, God himself? It's an amazing thing to consider, right? And and that's the kind of peace and enjoyment that Jesus calls us to. If we can get our heads squared away to believe something different about God, that he's our eternal dad, the warmth of God's love will fill our lives. The warmth of God's love will fill our minds. The warmth of God's love will set our worldview in a little better way. And the warmth of God's love is gonna start spilling out into the people around us, right? Because we believe something wonderful, that God is our eternal dad. We embrace these realities. We are filled with the warmth and the peace of that, and that will change everything around us. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He's looking at all the burdens of all the religious people around him, and he says, listen, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the full expression of God, right? And the full expression of God looks at us and says, what burdens are you carrying right now? What burdens are in your head? What burdens are in your heart? What burdens are in your emotions? What burdens are in your relationship with God? We can square that away. We can square this away. I wanna lift those burdens from you. I wanna give you rest and I wanna give you peace and that begins by enjoying God because we've set our hearts and minds right about who God is. He's our eternal dad. So put it this way, we are free to enjoy the rest that comes from being loved and cherished by our loving eternal dad. There's a rest to that. There's a peace to that. But there's a choice to that. We've got to choose to believe something different than the way we've been raised. We've got to choose to believe something different than our primitive human nature, right? Choose to believe God is an eternal dad who loves us and forgives us, cherishes us to the micro detail, knows more about us than we could possibly know about ourselves and loves every part of us and accepts every part of us. Here's another pretty cool thing to enjoy. Jesus just flat out taught this that our eternal dad wants us to thrive in this life. Our eternal dad wants us to thrive in this life. And that might be new to some of you. Some of us might think that, well, our job is actually to make God happy. Our job is actually to please God. And some of us might have been raised with this idea that God can be pleased by us. I think that is the most nonsensical, you know, condescending thought imaginable that the eternal God is displeased and needing to be pleased by us. I mean, I think that's just kind of a weird one, right? But again, it's about turning our heads around and turning our faith around to believe that God is eternal, Dad. He needs nothing from us, but his pleasure and his privilege is to serve us. 
and to cause us to thrive in this life. I mean, listen to the teaching of Jesus in John 10. This is a very famous passage. Let's get this into our soul here. Jesus is saying, hey, there's a bunch of teachers and preachers that came before me, right? All who came before me were thieves and robbers. They're taking your life. They're stealing your life. And they're laying on heavy burdens. God is angry and God is condemning and God is this ominous judge and you better do this and you better do that. They're stealing your life. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the gate. I am the full expression of God. I am the one who says who God is and isn't. I am the one who lives out the full nature of God. No one else. I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pasture, right? This is this wonderful image of this beautiful, lush, green pasture. And, and we're close with God, but then we live in the freedom of his creation. And we're close with God and we enjoy that. And then we go explore this. And, and we just live this life of peace and rest and happiness and enjoyment. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. And then he says this. If we would only grab a hold of this verse... My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The purpose of Jesus, who is the full expression of the Father God, the purpose of Jesus is to give us a rich and satisfying life. Isn't that awesome? For those of you who are raised with this thought, that well, our job is to please God, <laughs> to fear him, to appease him, right? to pacify. I mean, wow, what a turn this is. Actually, it's God's job to give us a rich and satisfying life. That's incredible. Our eternal dad wants us to live a rich and satisfying life. Let's get that in our soul, right? Because that's what dads do. That's what dads do. Dads look at their children. They want them to live a rich and satisfying life. And believe me, I'm a dad of four, and that requires sacrifice from the dad, and not so much from the kids, Right? That's what parents do. Parents love their children and want their children to succeed. And yes, sometimes that involves a correction, but not in wrath or condemnation or whatever else we think about God. But all of that is love. Even the correcting stuff is about love and grace. That's what a dad does. That's what a parent does. This requires faith. Faith. Faith is simply the stuff we choose to believe about God. It may not be a fancy definition, but that's what it is. Faith is the stuff we choose to believe about God. So for a lot of us, our faith journey to enjoy God is changing what we believe about God. Some people panic at the thought of changing our faith because we've been taught that God will get you if you change your faith. God will get you if you do something different. God will get you if you doubt. He'll get you if whatever. But if we can get rid of that and choose to believe that God's not out to get us, but choose to believe he's a, an eternal dad who is for us and never against us, who lives for our benefit, who lives so that we would thrive and live a deeply satisfying life. If we can change our minds to believe that, we will be better off and the world around us will be better off. So here's what I'm gonna do. This is gonna require a little audience participation here. I'm gonna need you to say amen. Can you do it? Amen. Amen, amen it simply means I agree, but it's church, so we can't say I agree. That'd be weird. We're gonna say amen. I'm gonna like just download Jesus truths on your life. Now, I never really do this, but I'm, I'm speaking things into existence, right? Into your life and online. I'm gonna speak some things about who God is 
in our lives and who God is to you. And if you agree, you can give a hearty amen when I ask a couple questions at the end. So wait till I ask you the questions, right? We gotta be a little orderly. Here's what I want you to believe. I want you to believe that Jesus is the full expression of God. Jesus is the full expression of God. Jesus. No one speaks for God other than Jesus. No one expresses the heart of God other than Jesus. No one. The more we know Jesus, the more we know God. And because we see Jesus, we know that God is kind and caring and gentle and humble. That's what Jesus said. Jesus is the defender of the voiceless and the oppressed. Jesus gives mercy to the poor and to the sick. Jesus feeds the hungry. Jesus clothes the naked. Jesus befriends the lonely. Jesus is the friend of sinners, the outcast, the rejected, and the lost. Jesus is love, so we know God is love. So I'm gonna ask you to choose to believe that Jesus is the expression of God and enjoy knowing God through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Will you enjoy that? Amen. Amen. You guys got it? You're better than the first service by a long shot. (laughs) Next, believe that God is always for you. Believe that God is always for you, always, always. God is not an ominous judge looking to get you when you do something wrong. God is not a vengeful, angry God of wrath who condemns you for every misstep. God is not a petulant child needing adoration or attention or obedience from you. So choose to believe that God is your eternal dad who chooses to live for your benefit so that you would live a rich and deeply satisfying life because that's what dads do. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Will you enjoy that? Amen. Amen. Next, believe that God does not see your failures He doesn't see him. He just doesn't see him. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God in Jesus Christ is bringing the whole world to himself, no longer counting sins against us. God does not count our sins against us. He doesn't see them, they're gone. Choose to believe that God does not see the sins of your past. God does not see the sins of your future. God no longer counts your failures against you. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ proves how much God just loves you. He took on every evil of this world and rose again in righteousness, which means that God looks at us as righteous. Despite the failures that we know we have, God just doesn't see them. We are free from the guilt and the shame of our past. Our eternal dad says, you are my perfect daughter. Our eternal dad says, you are my perfect son. Do you believe that? Will you enjoy that? Amen. Amen. Believe that the work of Jesus makes you good with God. We don't make ourselves good with God. The work of Jesus makes us good with God. Listen to 2 Timothy 1. God saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. Do you realize before the universe even began, you were good with God in Christ? Don't ask me to explain the timeline. I'm not God, that's not my business. But before the universe was even created, in Jesus Christ, God considered you one with him, and that has never changed. That's never changed. He gave this to us in Jesus before the ages began, but it was now revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to just reveal what's always been. We're good with God by his grace alone, based on nothing we have done. You're good with God only by his grace through Jesus Christ, not because you believe the right things or do the right good works or stay away from sin or devout in your religion. Do you believe that? Will you enjoy that? 
At this point, some people think, well, you know, I'm, I've got some stuff to work on. There's some things in my life that aren't real helpful. There's some things in my life, some habits in my life, the things that I do are not good for me and not good for others. The words that I say to people, I've hurt people. There's anger that comes out in terrible ways. I'm addicted maybe to a substance I know is not good. There's some moral failures I'm wrestling with, some harmful thoughts I'm dealing with. What about me? Let me tell you this. Believe that God will give you the strength to grow. Don't hate yourself for it. God doesn't hate you for the things that you do that aren't yet perfect. We're all on a journey. God loves us as any dad would, so he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves and he doesn't want us to hurt our brothers and sisters. So yes, God really doesn't want us to keep doing the things that are harmful. But what's gonna make us better? What's gonna cause us to grow? Is it fear of a vengeful God who's gonna you know, get us? I think it's the love of God that motivates us to change. It's the love of God that motivates us to overcome harmful habits in our lives and to treat other people with respect. The more we know God's love for us, the more we're gonna love other people. That's the formula. Believe me, the more we think God is an angry judge, the more we're gonna be an angry judge. That's just the way it goes. Our belief of God impacts virtually everything we do in some way. So if we believe that it's God's love that's gonna motivate us to be more loving, then we start to live a little more free. And then our lives truly begin to change, not because we're trying to appease an angry God, but because we're trying to love others as we have been loved. So choose to believe that God can change you and change me with support of a community around you full of grace and compassion. We can enjoy the journey of becoming more and more like Christ. Do you believe that? Will you enjoy that? Finally, and some of you are like, okay, this is, this is too much. Believe that God thinks very highly of you and is proud of you. Believe that God thinks very highly of you and is proud of you. And some of you might think, I have never heard that phrase in church in my life. God is proud of me? No, God's the holy and I'm the, uh, God is proud of you. Are you proud of your kids? Yes, you're proud of your kids. Are they little booger snots sometimes? Yes, you're a booger snot sometimes. We have a ways to go, right? But God looks at us and says, I am so very proud of you. And yeah, you're working on stuff, and, but everybody's working on stuff, right? We'll grow. But I love you. I think very highly of you. And I am so proud of you. You're wonderfully made by the master crafting handiwork of God himself. He cherishes you, all of you. Every unique skill and talent and success he cherishes. Every part of you that is uniquely you inside and out, he cherishes. Even the parts of you that still need to grow, he cherishes because that's just part of the journey. God is your heavenly, eternal dad. He is so proud of you and loves every bit of who you are and every bit of who you are becoming. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Will you enjoy that? Amen. Amen. Amen.